Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there, and uh, hey there, where's my voice? Um, I have to tell you, I am suffering some serious allergies, so my, I mean, my apologies, my normal Wisconsin nasal um, accent is being exacerbated, and I know that's not particularly charming, so anyway, nothing I can do about it at this point. Um, hi, welcome to, geez, another unbelievably beautiful day. It's uh, June 17th, and time flies. Um, I, I'm i not going to talk today about uh, Vladimir Putin, who strikes me as one of the, <clears throat> one of the most vile humans on Earth. Uh, all of these uh, autocrats, these narcissists, uh, these... These models of of toxic masculinity are are so repulsive to me, and so clearly uh, not strong men, even though they're called the noun is strong man. They're not. They're weak, and it's why they they behave as they as they do. It's just classic. Bullies by nature are in fact frightened. And I wish more people would understand that. And uh and and those who idolize these people and and fall for this strong man uh routine um only enable them so um not blown away by all of that uh foreign uh choreographed handshaking and whatever i'll let the the pundits read the tea leaves um so much is going on in our own country, in our own time, in our own backyards. I'm still cleaning up from that that storm. Uh, I want to share with you a story <clears throat> that, God dang it, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, there's nothing I can do. I'm really sorry. <clears throat> um, this is a story that, oh, for God's sake. This is a story that I um, I read, I don't know, maybe a week or so ago, maybe two weeks ago. Time not only flies, but it ceases to uh, ceases to make an impression on, on, on me. I never know what date anything happened on. Uh, so... This is a story that I read, and uh, it moved me so much that I was really pretty much taken down. I uh, I could not stop thinking about it. Uh, my reaction to this story is is uh, my reaction to so much of what's going on in this country. It was uh, incredible sadness, and rage, and simply an inability to comprehend why people do what they do. It's a story of a 25-year-old man who, born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio. He, I'm not sure how exactly to tell this story. Um, he was the kind of 25-year-old that 
any mother would look at with uh, with great pride. He was a standout in every way, gifted in school, gifted athletically, a true friend, a kind soul. And he, um, he enlisted in the army. And because he was such a, a bright kid and he got all these top test scores that I guess uh, the army uh, gives you to see what, where you would best uh, fit. And he was given his uh, pick of any job he wanted. And he chose to become a chaplain's assistant in a special forces battalion, essentially ministering to those who are going into battle that are coming from battle that are dealing with all of the emotional and physical trauma of being in the active military. And I mean, he was considered just wonderful. He, he talked, he talked one guy off a five story ledge (laughs) once he saved lives. He was sent off to the Middle East. He won awards. He was, he was uh, promoted to sergeant ahead of all of his peers. A few years into all of this, he was assigned to an infantry battalion that had just returned from Afghanistan. And he was... The only, there was no chaplain, so he was essentially the chaplain, and he was charged with trying to help uh, these guys, many of whom were struggling. (laughs) And he worked mightily, and he helped many. But two of the soldiers he had been working with killed themselves and he took it hard that I just kept racking my brain thinking what could I have done to help them what didn't I do he was injured in a uh, parachute jump in a training exercise And uh, he was hospitalized, and they evaluated him there and found him to be suffering himself from post-traumatic stress and depression. And he was eventually given an honorable medical discharge, and he returned home to Cincinnati. And he tried therapy. But because of the pandemic, that had to be virtual. He found it not helpful. He was really struggling. And then he started to do something he'd done as a kid that had always brought him peace. He started to climb. He started to literally get above it. When he was a kid, it was trees he was climbing. Excuse me. And now he was scaling skyscrapers, huge bridges, even construction cranes. And he was doing it because it brought him peace. 
But also he was doing it because he wanted to be a photographer. And the vistas that he would see when he got above it all were so glorious to him that he began to take extraordinary pictures. And he posted them on, you know, social media and they were noticed. I'm, I'm looking at one of the pictures now. It's clearly taken from atop a bridge in um, New York City. I mean, it is glorious night photo. And he would say, you are literally above every ugly and bitter thing in the world. And it gave him a new perspective. And also because of the climbing itself being dangerous, risk-taking, it the adrenaline that he got, it, all of this helped him. He, he was happy again. He had purpose. He was making art and he was making himself whole again. He felt that picking up the camera had literally saved his life. <coughs> then the police enter the picture. The police in his hometown of Cincinnati were called because a security guard in a large building there noticed on a security camera that there was this bearded guy scaling the building. By the time the police arrived, and I've never told you his name, Isaac, Isaac Wright had already gotten down and had had left. But the police in Cincinnati put out a nationwide bulletin, a nationwide warrant for the arrest of Isaac Wright. climbing that skyscraper. And though Isaac Wright had no criminal record, quite the opposite, he had a record of service and achievement. He had never been in trouble, despite the fact that he had no criminal record and despite the fact that he owned no guns, what kind of an American is that? The warrant issued by the Cincinnati police that went nationwide warned that he had special military training <clears throat> and a PTSD diagnosis, and he should be considered armed and dangerous. Now understand that to take these pictures, he, he traveled all over the country, He'd get in his car and go to all kinds of cities and mountaintops, wherever. And he knew nothing about this warrant. He knew nothing. And here's how he found out. He was driving down an interstate in Arizona. And he heard a helicopter hovering over him. And then the police cars showed up. 
and more than 20 officers and dogs with assault rifles drawn closed in on him, ordered him out of his car. And now understand this. This is a black young man. No idea that there is a warrant out for him and that he's considered armed and dangerous. He's armed with a camera. And understand that Isaac Wright, being a young black man in America, feared for his life at that moment. And in fact, had lost two members of family, both killed by police. And he very carefully and slowly edged himself out of his car and lay face down, his arms outstretched on that hot Arizona highway. Having no idea what was happening. They had actually closed an interstate highway to intercept this dangerous man with no record and no gun whose crime was climbing up a building. There is a, uh, there's a, a name for people who do the kind of thing that he does. They're called urban explorers. It's a, it's people help out of doing risky things in the city that are not intended to harm anybody, but that to the person doing them, and in his case, the desire to create pictures and art Um, so they're called urban explorers and he's not alone. They climb stadiums, bridges, uh, you know, all over the place. There's clear evidence of it here in Pittsburgh where you see graffiti uh, atop uh, a bridge or in places where you think, how the heck did anybody get up there? Those are urban adventurers. And when these urban explorers get caught by the cops, they are typically charged with a misdemeanor or not charged at all. But not so for this urban explorer. He had been charged with burglary or gaining access to the building in Cincinnati. And they threw some other felonies at him too, the Cincinnati cops. And in total, he could go to jail for 25 years. He knew none of this lying face down on that Arizona highway. And they peeled him off it and handed up and threw him in the back of a car. And he was held, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> he was held without bond me let me get this straight. He was held without bond in 23-hour lockdown for over two months.
And you know what the prosecutors argued for why they were treating him like he was like one of the most dangerous men in America? The thing that makes me crazy. Prosecutors successfully argued that Isaac Wright's time in the army made him too dangerous to release. No, thank you for your service. No. They said, this guy's been trained. He's a trained killer. He's in the military. (laughs) Unbelievable. And the judge set bail at $400,000. He couldn't afford that. If you think this guy was depressed before, imagine how he's feeling now. And he said, I gave so much for this country. And now they're using that against me. There is, uh, by the way, growing evidence that... um, what is now being called by uh, therapists uh, as recreational therapy is very, very helpful for a lot of people suffering from depression and particularly veterans suffering from PTSD, whether it be rock climbing or skydiving or um, mountain biking, whatever, that it increases their sense of control and of well-being. And he had just found this on his own. He doctored himself back into health. And now he was being told that he was an extreme danger with police forces all over the country on the lookout for him. Helicopters deployed. Dogs, assault rifles. He liked getting up high and taking beautiful pictures. Listen to one of the officers in Cincinnati said to a reporter who's reporting this story and asking, I mean, Come on, guys. What? 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 And here's what he says. The level of sophistication this guy is using and the magnitude of his crimes, pretty scary. Yeah. Oh, he added, pictures are beautiful. I'm not going to deny that. But he leaves a wake of destruction. What? Yeah, it turns out that on some occasions when he is getting into a building illegally, he has maybe damaged a security camera, picked the lock, and the burglary charges. And that, in my mind, does not constitute a wake of destruction. And I have to tell you, I don't know where things stand now, but the story doesn't get happier. My heart so breaks for this kid. After the arrest in Arizona and being stuck there forever and finally let go. (laughs) 
because Cincinnati had alerted the whole friggin' world about this dangerous man. He soon was facing charges in Louisiana and in Michigan. And he finally gets back home to Ohio. And you know, if you know the geography of Cincinnati, it's just across the river from Kentucky, right? And within days, he's pulled over by Kentucky State Police, who had been tipped off by one of the Cincinnati officers who become obsessed by him, with him, and continue to tell the Kentucky officers that this guy was dangerous. And the fact is he had climbed a bridge in Kentucky once, and so they're after him, and they arrested him. Tasers drawn on him. A few days later, he's released on bond again, and he said, I don't understand why they're treating me like an animal. He stopped climbing. <laughs> but he has now no outlet for the stress. And now the stress is huge because there are these criminal cases against him. And listen to this. I mean, if, if you were rewriting the Bible right now, you could, you, could uh, you know, tell Job to move over. I'd like to tell the story of Isaac Wright. And a few days after he returned to Ohio and after the guys in Kentucky had grabbed him, a dozen police officers pounded on his door. A dozen cops came to his door, pounded on it, led by the one who's just like this Javert, obsessed with him. And they were pounding on the door to let him know <laughs> that Philadelphia was charging him because they had found video footage of him climbing a bridge in Philadelphia. They pounded on his door. Their guns were drawn and they arrested him again and took him to jail on a new felony. Three days later, he got out again on bonds. And that's where this story leaves us. And all I, I mean, my, my instincts are, I want to help this guy. I want to, I think this story should be, this is such an abuse of what, what we would expect our police to be spending their time on. This guy does not endanger me. He might endanger himself. But that he is treated this way and said to be armed and dangerous, despite the fact that he doesn't even own a gun, but because he served his country. I don't know why this is not, he is not a cause celeb. I do not know how the police prosecutors in Cincinnati are not being picketed, protested, that this should not, this is such an outrage to me. 
you know, I wonder if there's a GoFundMe somewhere for his legal expenses. I would, I, I just want to go and get him. And if you saw the picture of him, you look, you know, when you look at a face and you can see a good person, he's a good person. You can see it in his face. Is he still young? And look at this. Just unbelievable. Persecution. Prosecution. For needing to get up high. Get a new perspective. To get away from the pain. And to make beautiful art. Well, now I'll think about him again all day. I wanted you to know. Meanwhile, God knows, there are a lot of people in this country who are armed and dangerous, an awful lot of them, and more than ever before during the pandemic. More guns were sold, more people arming themselves. And I just want to say that the not that I don't react to all the other stories of these awful human beings who refuse to wear masks. Um, I had a doctor's appointment um, about three weeks ago, and there's a big sign on the door when you walked in that you cannot enter without a mask on. And I had a mask on, of course. I went in, and there was one other person in there, and they had a mask on. And then some guy comes in, and he does not have a mask on. And he approaches the the woman who, the receptionist, and I'm thinking, isn't she going to say to him, hey, you, didn't you see the sign? And she doesn't. Very polite to him. She's very nice, and she doesn't say boo. I witnessed another uh, situation like that a few days after. Again, a man refusing to do what everybody else was doing. And the people in this time, a retail establishment, not saying anything to him, letting him get away with it. And then, of course, you read about this poor woman. working a you know one of these jobs that doesn't pay you in enough to live working as a clerk at the big bear supermarket in Decatur, Georgia. 41-year-old woman, she'd gone to work that day. And of course, um white guy came in and she told him, hey, you need to uh, put a mask on. And he just walked out the door. Turns out he walked out the door to get his gun and he came back in and he shot and killed her. I guess that's a reason why (laughs) these receptionists and clerks and cashiers who've now been left to police their establishments 
aren't going to do it. This is a country so filled with dangerous people who are armed. They got no cops stealing them. I, I weep. And did you see that, um, I guess it was last week that a, uh, that a judge (laughs) declared from on high that California law banning assault rifles was unconstitutional. And so it was as if that, okay, maybe, maybe, I don't know, this is America, it might well be, who knows, you can, uh, uh, but it was the way he said it in his opinion that is just Astonishing. He poo-pooed the idea that an AK-47 was somehow some dangerous thing. <laughs> what did he, he? He said it was it was no different than a um, a Swiss Army knife. That was it. It was like this wonderful little invention, like a Swiss Army knife. And I think it was, maybe it was on 60 Minutes that I saw, um, I saw a piece about the damage done to a human body than an AK-47. Unleashes. And it is grotesque. And in no country where sanity has a place at the table would an AK-47 be considered something that a civilian should own. But it is the go-to The reason they were doing the story is it is the go-to for a lot of the mass murders we have seen in this country. It's so efficient, you don't even have to be a good shot. You just sort of spray the room and people people drop like flies. Hmm. Okay. I'll get off it. But I want to say, I'm getting this feeling, as we're enjoying this lovely weather, um, I'm wondering if the population decline that hit us and other northeastern states and northern tier states as people went south for the sun, get away from the cold. I wonder if there's going to be a reverse migration at some point. Given what the future holds for the southwestern United States especially and even the Plain States. And we're seeing, we're seeing, you know, that now it's a story right now about these record-setting temperatures. California and Montana and Wyoming and Arizona and Texas, and concern that the power grids won't hold. And this, of course, is not going to get better. It's going to get worse because this is related to climate change. 
and we know what direction things are going. Hotter. And in that area, hotter and drier. They're into a, what, a three-year drought now? And guys, it's not even summer yet. It's not summer yet. It is nowhere near peak heat season. It's nowhere near peak dry season. It's nowhere near peak wildfire season. And I don't understand why anyone would live in places that are going to be over 100 degrees. And where water increasingly is becoming scarce. You've heard of Lake Mead. Lake Mead is a man-made reservoir that was created when the Hoover Dam was built back in, well, almost 100 years ago now. Lake Mead has never been as empty as it is, okay, ever. It's at 36% capacity. You know why that's important? Because there's nothing in the forecast that says it's not going to be at 35, 34, 33. Because the drought will continue. The heat will continue. And Lake Mead is the water source for 25 Americans in three states in the southwest. I'm just wondering if at some point, really, because in order for these states to be able to uh, have people live in them, they are going to have to do all kinds of infrastructure things, and it's going to cost a lot of money. That means taxes. Oh, good heavens. And that means a lot of other sort of weather events. We saw what happened to Texas in the cold this winter. I think it would not be shocking to see a repeat in Texas and even other states with the heat. And Texas, of course, being a special case because they refused to be part of the national grid. They had their own, which they don't have as many regulations on. And you know what it's laughably called? The electric reliability council. <laughs> That's what runs the Texas. <laughs> Might want to think of a name change given what happened uh, in the winter and probably going to happen in the summer. And you know, when, they're, when their grid goes down with their wonderful uh, system they've got there, uh, it triggers, uh, you know, immediate emergency uh, measures. And with those emergency measures, the companies that produce power can get as much as 300 times the price they get when there is no emergency. So if that's the case, then why would any utility look to fix this, <laughs> look to the future and think, well, this is going to keep happening. Yeah, people will die. People will die. But not us. And in fact, we're going to get rich. And this, this year, this summer, Americans will die because of the heat. And you know which Americans will die because of the heat? Just asking, I know, it's it's silly. Of course, yes, you know. The people who always die. And I couldn't help but laugh to see that Governor Abbott of the great state of Texas, with all of this going on, he's spending his time... 
signing measures so that he can build a wall on the Mexican border. Now, this is a perfect example of an idiot. An idiot being somebody who doesn't recognize why they are in danger. What the danger is. Governor Abbott thinks the danger is brown people coming across the border. The danger, of course, is much greater than that. (laughs) The danger climate and what it's going to do the American Southwest and to its coastal regions as well to be straightforward about it hey I came up I'm going to change the subject on you um Joe Manchin (laughs) Joe Manchin God help us. God knows I've read a lot about it. But the most interesting thing I read was written by a guy named Dave Anderson, who uh, was a a Congress. No, he never got to Congress. He ran for Congress once. I don't know where. Someplace. He's a teacher, professor type. And he wrote this wonderful piece about how maybe – that it's not a good idea to, you're not going to change Manchin's mind by ridicule or rage. And I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that's true. I don't have the kind of personality or patience to do what needs to be done, but I love what he's come up with. And I especially love the metaphor he's come up with. I'm going to assume most of you have seen the bridge on the river Kwai. It is, yeah, it's a classic movie. And one of the main characters is this British officer held in a Japanese POW camp. And uh, the actor Alec Guinness uh, plays this guy. And the Japanese had been insisting that the uh, American and British prisoners build this bridge across the river there, the river Y. And after fighting that for a long, long time, Alec Guinness, he, I don't have to tell you the whole story. Anyway, this British officer becomes so crazed about building the bridge. It just as a, you know, as a something to do, as a to show how the ingenuity of their engineers, whatever. Even though, of course, he's under orders from the Brits <laughs> to do everything to destroy the bridge, not build, not fix it, not build it. But blow it up. And he refuses. And then he he sees that some of his guys are attempting to do that. And then he sabotages their efforts to do the right thing. And finally, this great scene where he sees his men being killed, blown away, shot to death by the Japanese. He snaps out of his what obsession. And he sees what he's done. And he says, with this look of Bafflement and astonishment and confusion. 
and self-loathing, he says, what have I done? And the guy who wrote this piece suggests that Joe Manchin needs to be helped to see (laughs) what the British officer finally saw, but needs to do it before the damage is done. And this guy writes, Manchin has, is sincere in wanting, you know, seeing things the way he, he just somehow has to see him, but he has lost sight of what is at stake here, because what's at stake here is a literal battle for the survival of American democracy. And so it's got to be all hands on deck, the kind of people who can reach him to get Manchin to see what he has done before it's too late. Dave Anderson says, no one can force him to change his mind. All that we can do right now is leverage our mutual love for this country, which might remind Manchin that if he does not change course, American democracy may be destroyed. Yeah. Well, I thought that was smart. Okay, you guys. I got one other thing here, which I read. Oh, there's a great little letter here by some woman in Connecticut about Manchin, who says, I'm thoroughly disgusted by Manchin's bipartisanship stance which will impede voting rights and threaten the very life of our democracy. And then she makes this point, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, passed without a single Senate Republican vote. I am sure, she says, that the 31 million plus people who now have insurance coverage under the Affordable Care Act, don't care one whit about bipartisanship. They just care that it was passed. I hope somebody gets through to them. As I said, I could not. Okay, and then I have one other thing that seems a little dark to end on, but that's the way the cookie crumbled here today. And this is from, again, something I read while we were on hiatus that I thought was fascinating. Um, And about Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa, uh, this revered woman, except for some like Christopher Hitchens, who I remember when he first wrote about her Uh, I mean, just ripped her limb from limb. And I thought, oh, my God, how can you do that to this woman who the whole world looks up to? Well, this is another take on Mother Teresa. And it's interesting because it has to do with a, a podcast that is being done by two women who were in her order. Who served with her. And the podcast is called The Turning, The Sisters Who Left. You might want to check it out. 
And the story these two, former Mother Teresa, whatever they recall them, um, the story they tell is something else. And it it makes clear that they they tell it in sorrow more than in like in a vengeful way. But they quite clearly say that the order that she founded, you know, and she's a saint now. She she was canonized in 2016. They say it was a hive of psychological abuse. They uh, argue, and this has been said before about her, that her love of suffering sort of informed the whole operation. That she fetishized, fetishized suffering much more than she sought to alleviate it. So that the poor, desperate souls who came to her for care got very little. Very little. And man, she kept a tight leash on her women. These two former nuns describe an obsession with chastity so intense that any physical human contact or friendship was strictly prohibited. Mother Teresa even told the nuns not to touch the babies, not to hold them, not to care for them more than necessary. And they were expected to flog themselves regularly. fetish-sized suffering and pain and cruelty. They were never allowed to go out by themselves, out onto the streets. They had to always be out, go by twos. It was total control. And the question is asked, is this a religious order or is this a cult that is led by a controlling psychopath, not a saint? And Michelle Goldberg, who wrote this piece, ends it with this. Viewed through a contemporary, secular lens, a community that is built around a charismatic founder and dedicated to the lionization of suffering and the annihilation of female friendship and selfhood doesn't seem particularly blessed. It seems sinister. And one of the sisters quotes Mother Teresa as saying more than once, love to be real has to hurt. All right. Who said that? Mother Teresa or the Marquis de Sade? Just saying. I think as with many things, Christopher Hitchens will 
posthumously prove to have been prescient about this little woman. Yeah. Got it right. If you want to check out the podcast again, it's called The Turning. Okay. All right. Well, I'm turning my attention to uh, the outdoors. And uh, I'll go. I'll go out there. It makes me feel good. And uh, thank you guys for being there. And we'll be back on Monday with a a full week or what passes for a week in, in my world uh, of shows. Have a great day. Careful. Be smart. Pay attention. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.